this episode of The Interface, I speak with Sarah Dwyer, the new group HR director for Amphenol RF Optics and Broadband. Sarah is based out of Wallingford, Connecticut, and has been with Amphenol for five months, but already feels so comfortable that it feels like five years. We talk about becoming familiar with the various businesses within ARFOB, their products, their unique cultures, and how they fit into the overall group. We talk about looking at her role in HR in a more proactive way as a key business partner, but also overseeing their services such as hirings, compensation, and benefits. We talk about being born and raised in England and knowing at a young age that human resources was the career for her. We talk about getting married, moving to the United States over 20 years ago, and finding a home in Vermont. And we discuss her Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. So let's get started then, Sarah. So Sarah, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate you doing this and you may be one of the newer employees I've ever had on one of these episodes. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm talking to people here 25, 30, 35 years uh, or anywhere in between. And here you are as the group HR director for the, uh, the RFOB group under Bill Callahan. And you've been here for all of four months, right? So do you feel like you're starting to get comfortable or you still have a lot to learn about Amphenol? What's your impression been so far? It's, it's probably a bit of a blend of both. Yeah. Um, I think two months in, uh, I joined at the beginning of uh, November and around sort of mid-December, maybe early January, Bill and I were talking and it actually felt like I had been here for years. It didn't feel like two huh. months, but I kind of, uh, I had a little bit of uh, support with Pat Agudo, who was in the role before, which was great. She yeah. was wonderful, uh, offering her time to help with the transition. And then once Pat moved out uh, and retired, I've just been hitting the ground running with one thing after the other, clearly trying to get familiar with Amphenol, the products, uh, the products in our group, just mm -hmm. general sort of cultural nuances and how Amphenol operates, and then getting to know all the GMs and the the HR managers and the controllers within our group, and and I was quite surprised how quickly it felt very comfortable, and I I really didn't think uh, after two months I would feel, you know, very much part of the team getting familiar with how Amphenol runs, how our group runs, mm -hmm. what the goals and objectives are. And, you know, nearly five months in, I, I really feel like I've been here five years, which is, which is a, it, it's a great feeling because I would say starting a new job is, is never easy. And you always know you have that sort of period of trying to get familiar with the new company and, and it's just been uh, easy, uh, I would say. And um, as I said, I, I couldn't have done it without the people around uh, making me feel so welcome and helping me navigate uh, all the, the way things are done here. That's really great to hear. And I'm glad that that has been the case so far in your first few months with the company. Everyone is kind of their own unique personality, everyone being all the different business units and the groups and all that in this Amphenolian culture that I'm sure you've heard about time and time again, where, you know, the, the GMs are in charge and there's this entrepreneurial spirit. So hearing that you have picked that up and felt comfortable pretty quickly is great. Why do you think that is? 
I definitely think it's the people here. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, you know, Amphenol success is, is clearly around the people that they they have employed. There's no doubt in my mind. I also feel going to the facilities uh, and lucky COVID uh, willing, uh, I've been able to go to many of those facilities and in, including a few overseas yeah. in Germany and France. And, and that for sure, to your point is, as you want to, to really feel the, the subcultures within the different uh, right. business units, you have to go to those locations. You have to spend time with the people there. Uh, and that's how I've managed to to really figure out probably quicker than I thought I would by by visiting, you know, meeting people, asking questions. I like nothing better than seeing a manufacturing floor. And as I'm learning about the products, actually seeing them made, seeing the passion that people have for mm-hmm. the products that they made, uh, you know, in their specific business units, that has really helped me acclimate. I think quicker than I. Again, quicker than I thought I would have um, if I hadn't had the support from the people around. Yeah, and as you've rapidly come up to speed on the businesses and what they do and see how the products are made and all that, you know, how would you describe what, from a high level, your job is then as the, the group HR director? What do you feel is really the most important objective for what you do? You know, it's a great question, and I think it's really multifaceted, and it really depends on the business unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I describe my job to people, you know, first and foremost, I'm a business partner to Bill and, you know, the, the group here. Right. And, and the GMs um, and the HR managers. I, I partner with them um, depending on what the business need is. And I I think about business before I think about HR. That's the way HR has sort of changed over the years. And, you know, with this, I say relatively new type of strategic role as as an HR business partner, you focus on the business and then you identify HR solutions to support Mm. uh, the, the growth efforts or maybe cost saving efforts, whatever those might be. It's, it's improving margins, it's improving profit, profitability, and HR plays a role in that today. And that's what I would see one of the primary purposes of my role. But then there's the other side, there's the HR operations. And I, I always call that the core of HR. Mm-hmm. And those are critical, you know, it's making sure people are paid on time, it's right. the benefits, right. the compensation, it's the employee relations, it's the compliance piece. And, and I will have to swing between the two, depending on the business unit, the maturity, the size of the business unit. So in some of our businesses, I may focus on that initially. You know, I, I use the, the, the house uh, as, a, as a way of describing HR. You know, the foundations are critical. Mm-hmm. Without foundations, we can't build on the talent management and the strategic workforce planning and some of those sort of more... Uh, interesting areas of HR, but we've got to get the house foundation in place. So I see my role in in many different ways, depending on the needs of the business. But I would say, you know, back to what is the primary focus? It's certainly the partnership. And then, you know, as needed, it's really helping flex on some of those other HR areas that may need support or guidance or insights in from, from myself. Yeah, I like the way you put that, where you're 
in essence, a business partner, right? And not just looked at as a, you know, a services provider. I think that really helps color in uh, the human resources aspect as a critical business function, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's the way, you know, HR has transitioned. And it it doesn't mean that those core HR functions are any less important. But oh, certainly. when yeah. you think about a business, you think about the size of payroll. It's one of the biggest expenses a business has. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that HR was so reactionary in the past, right. I think, you know, didn't serve the business well. And, and you hit the nail on the head there with it being a strategic role. And it can be very impactful. And, you know, I like to look out three to five years. I want to see the direction of our group and then try and see, okay, where are some of those sort of HR initiatives that can help push that forward? You know, if you think about growing revenue, you know, do we have the right sales force? Are we focused on the right sales initiatives? And how can I support that? You know, on the back end, it's we've got to improve margins. How do we do that? you know, in a, in a humane and, and caring way to right. our employees. And so, and that's the strategic focus. It's really thinking long-term and not being reactionary on some of those sort of bigger initiatives, because when you are reactionary, you're already behind the eight ball at that point. And we want to be ahead of those things and be deliberate and, you know, be strategic in our thought process. You know, one of the things I just thought about, right, you're talking about being new and, and rapidly learning all of uh, the Amphenol, the RFOB group and, and all this. And, and, and you know, one of the things that you're, I'm sure, assigned with is, look, we're trying to find talented people to continue to grow the business. I know you aren't an expert yet. and You've only had a few months to see some of this stuff. Maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. But as you start to have these discussions with people about, you know, acquiring new talent, how do you now describe what the group does? You know, I, I probably still have a bit of a journey on that when you get down to sort of the technical level. Fair and, enough. Uh, yeah. You know, I know the customer base. I can certainly talk about it at a high level. Even more importantly, I have people around me that can do it way better than I. Okay. But what I can do, and this is where, you know, another part of HR uh, people don't see it as a sales and marketing role, but I can sell Amphenol as a company. Right. Um, and I can sell it as a company because I was sold it just five <laughs> months ago. Right. Um, and the value proposition that Amphenol offers a, a future employee is, is really quite amazing. And I was interviewed by Klaus, and mm -hmm. I know you, you're familiar with Klaus. Yeah. He did a very nice job of selling Amphenol to me. And, you know, it, he certainly was on point. You know, nothing he shared with me in those early days, uh, I have not experienced, you know, mm -hmm. yet. I have experienced every item that or area that he had said that Amphenol would deliver on, and I, I have experienced it. So I could do that because I've gone through the process myself. I've heard what Amphenol can offer and I'm now experiencing it. So from that perspective, I feel I can do a good job. And, and that's, that's all about brand management. And mm -hmm. it's not brand management from a product perspective. Right. It's brand management from an employee perspective. Right. You know, why would I join Amphenol? What is the culture like? What are they uh, offering for career pathing? 
What are they offering from a learning and development perspective? You know, where could my career go if I join the company? So all of those aspects, I feel like I have a fairly good sense uh, for. So it sounds like so far so good for you. So your first four or five months been very exciting. You already feel very comfortable. Um, I'm sure you must be very pleased with that then so far when you're transitioning into a new role at this point, right? Yeah, it's always nerve-wracking sure. uh, when you start a new company and you want to feel like you can add value as quickly as possible. But mm-hmm. of course, you know there's that period of trying to get to know people, the products. In this case, you know all the different business units that are within the group. Uh, I I do feel like I have settled in. I feel like I can add value uh, and I'm very happy that that's the case because it it was a little bit of a concern when you, when you start somewhere new, it's, you know, am I going to, to be able to to hit the ground running and make the team proud? I think you probably have so far. And I think probably very glad to have you on the team. So, and look, Hey, Bill recommended you to me. So, I guess you must be doing something right. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so thanks, Bill. Anyway, we'll we'll shift gears a little bit, okay? Um, you know, you and I talked uh, before we started recording, um, and you were telling me how um, you live in Vermont. I don't recognize you having an an accent from Vermont. So uh, can you tell me where, tell us where you grew up and just a little bit about your history before, you know, and up through university maybe? Yeah. Well, you don't think I have a, a Vermont accent? No, I'm no. May, I, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, my, like I said, my brother lives there, but he doesn't, he doesn't talk like you talk. No. I, so I was uh, born and raised in England, yeah. uh, just south of London. Mm-hmm. Um, in a town called Guildford, which is about a 30-minute train ride into to London. So a lot of sort of big commuter area, but it's a very beautiful part of the southern uh, part of England. Uh, so uh, raised uh, up until I went to university in Guildford. Spent uh, my university years in London. Uh, okay. Couldn't wait to get out of you know, the suburbs and into <laughs> London proper yeah, uh, and uh, did so, which is where I, I ended up studying. Okay. So what did you study in, in university? I studied business administration mm-hmm. as an undergrad. Uh, I knew I wanted to go into HR. Why is I, that? Well, when I was, uh, this is going to make you laugh. When I was 14, I did one of those sort of career advisory questionnaires. Yeah. And uh, it came up with two choices, one to join the army and one to go into human resources. There was no way I was going to join the army. I don't know how I got on that track. Um, (laughs) But I didn't even know at 14 there was a career that would involve people. And I I know that's why I was given that choice, because I love working with people. Yeah. Um, so I knew at 14 that my career trajectory was going to be in human resources, but I also knew I needed a good business foundation to uh, prepare me for that side of, of the business world. So I did a, a, an undergrad in uh, business administration with a concentration on human resources. It lived up to my expectations and then immediately went on and did a postgrad in human resources. 
mm-hmm. um, before I went out in the big wide world. But it, it was uh, clear that was going to be uh, my focus initially for my career. I did deviate a little bit in the middle of my career, but um, it was a great position for me or a great function for me to start my career in. You know, not that I've talked to a ton of people in the HR community about how they came to be in HR, but you're probably the first one I've ever talked to that said, oh, I knew by the time I was 14, um, even though I didn't know exactly what the role was, that I was going to be in human resources. That's pretty fascinating, actually. I usually hear that from like engineers, like, oh, I always like to build things. So I knew I'd be an engineer at 10 years old. But, uh, you know, human resources manager or someone in human resources to know at that age is is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, well, if you know me well, it's probably not surprising, but <laughs> I am someone that likes to have goals and objectives, yeah. you know, so going to university and sort of exploring ideas was not my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have had a goal and a target. I, I don't mind deviating off of that. Right. But I've always liked something that I'm working towards. And if I end up taking a, a sidestep over and um, trying something different along the way, I'll do that. And I have done that. But I, I needed a goal and objective. I needed to go to university with a plan and an idea. Um, and that's just the way I, I am. A little focused around where my next steps are. Uh, and like that certainty, uh, especially once I figured out that Hey, HR is working with people. You'll mm-hmm. never have a day that's the same. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's it's evolved really nicely over the last twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you uh, it, it's not a static function. Um, people are different. People uh, change. Businesses are different. Businesses change. So you, I've got to experience all of those along the way. How well did your schooling prepare you for? the oftentimes incredibly sensitive and difficult issues to deal with uh, when it comes to HR, because that's the one thing is sometimes, you know, you're hearing stories or people's situations, which I'm sure could be heartbreaking or frustrating or whatever it may be. And you can do all the case studies you want in school, but until you're actually experiencing this firsthand and you have a person sitting in front of you, um, you know, you really can't replicate that experience. How well do you think school prepared you for those situations that were inevitable? Probably not at all. Mm. You know, I mean, you like to think that you're prepared. Yeah. You know, for the first time, you sit down with an employee and hear, you know, like a devastating story or uh, a situation that that's very hard to understand because it's not part of my upbringing or experience. Right. You know, I, a lot of it you learn on the fly and have I made mistakes along the way? Absolutely. I'm sure we all are or said the wrong thing or yeah. taken the wrong, made the wrong decision, taken the wrong decision. Uh, I, I was lucky my last company, which I worked for for 14 years, I work with masters in the employee relations uh, field. Mm. And I would say I learned more from my colleagues really sharing experiencing experiences. And we work very much as an HR team uh, and navigating through some of those particularly difficult situations. I would draw on experiences from others who had way more 
interaction and experiences in a particular area that I might not have had. Right. But you do, it's sort of a muscle that you build over time. Yeah. You know, nothing surprises me anymore. That's for (laughs) sure. You know, initially I would be, Oh my goodness, you know, what is this? But you know, you don't get surprised anymore. Um, and as you go through your career and the more you experience like a muscle, you know, you're, you're better prepared. You can respond accordingly. There's always, a framework that you typically work within on the employee relations side when mm-hmm. you're dealing with these things, whether it's a legal framework or best practices. So you can typically draw on, you know, those to help navigate through. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's probably one of the more difficult sides of HR. And there are masters in this field, which I cannot profess to be. Uh, and that's how I've really, you know, yeah. been able to, to build that, that capability. Sure. And probably learning the art of uh, compartmentalization too, right? So you, you yes. leave work at that, you know, and you get in your car and it's got to, you know, I got to focus on being home and, and chilling and not having to think about this. So. Um, yeah. I, I've always, I've, I've always had an incredible amount of respect for people in the HR community. Um, I think largely, you know, one of the main reasons is because of that, because you're really dealing with some, some sensitive issues. Um, and people really look to you, uh, you know, like a lifesaver oftentimes for some of these situations. So, you know, I give you and everyone a tremendous amount of credit in, in the HR community. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, that therapy is part of the role, you right. know, I mean, you talk about just coaching and mentoring, which are all typically more positive sides of, of the work that we do, but, you know, being a therapist at times, and, and I have certainly uh, experienced people who are close to the edge that, uh, you know, we've had to help yeah. bring back and proud of the fact that we probably saved um, some lives along the way. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are for sure, the more difficult situations to deal with, but in some respects, the most rewarding right, um, right. That as an employer, you know, we care about our employees. Um, and if you can help someone in some small way to get back on track, then it, you know, I feel probably more gratification from something like that than maybe some of the, the bigger initiatives that I've worked on in my career. You talked about working in uh, a number of other companies before you came to Amphenol. Um, how were they uh, compared to not so much technology or anything that they did or, or what services they provide, but uh, uh, what was the, the range of how those businesses operated versus maybe how you see Amphenol so far in your first few months? Yeah, really a, a very wide range of experiences. Uh, my first company that I worked for was a company called LEK Consulting, uh, a spin-off from Bain. Okay. So very much into the M&A world and consulting. It was very uh, fairly small at the time, expanding quite rapidly. I was in London, very fast pace, you know, 80-hour weeks. And I was, I was hiring for them, and I was still doing, you know, sort of long hours, traveling a lot. You know, your first job is always the most difficult because it mm-hmm. was the first time I'd worked in a corporate environment. Right. Um, you know, I would say that was very different to what I'm experiencing now. And I'm, I'm certainly more mature uh, <laughs> than I was then, uh, yeah. figuring out how, you know, what are my work ethics and how do I want to come across as, a, as an employee? I think along the way, you know, I have worked for companies not dissimilar in culture. Um, 
I worked for IBM down in Australia and um, they had a really uh, amazing culture, a very employee focused, very caring. Um, we were all uh, part of a, a bigger goal and objective. I really felt part of a, a larger organization. Um, and I would say, you know, culturally there was some alignment there. I also had the opportunity to work for a company called British American Tobacco, a bit taboo, a t- tobacco company. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they were different, very different to, to Amphenol, very large in size, operated in a very caring way, the same, uh, but very compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of cross-functional interaction um obviously very protective also of the product being tobacco yeah but i learned to love manufacturing when i was at british america tobacco it's the first yeah. time i saw the manufacturing line and yes it was cigarettes but there is nothing more rewarding than seeing the tobacco coming in on a boat being treated being made into cigarettes and right. then being distributed and i it um it sounds odd to say but i would it's say the process I love- right it's the process yeah. and, and my love for actually making something. Yeah. So, you know, that was a focus. Uh, from there on, I tried to pick, you know, a, a company. In fact, the next company I ended up working for that wasn't my own um, was a uh, my last company, which was in the industrial product uh, market. And, and we made products, uh, again, through some kind of manufacturing process. How did you eventually migrate to the U.S. because you said you've been here, you know, for 25 years, I think, in in Vermont and in other places, or at least that. How did you get to the U.S.? And then ultimately, how did you find Amphenol or they found you? Yeah, so I married an American and I managed to get him to live in London for nearly five years before uh, we moved. But uh, we started a family and uh, felt that America would actually be a good place to raise the family. Yeah. My husband was from uh, Massachusetts, but had gone to UVM uh, for college. And uh, his parents had recently moved to Vermont, and it seemed the natural place to go. Uh, we did think of California. We both met in Nor- uh, each other in Northern California. So yeah. that was another option. Do we go back to where we met? Yeah. But I wanted to be red- relatively close to my family back in Europe. And Vermont seemed a very safe place, which was very important uh, to me. You know, coming from England to America, you know, my we read the news, you know, we watch television and I was a little concerned about yeah. violence and guns and all yeah. those things. You know, we have violence in, in obviously in England, but the guns were, you know, something a little concerning. So I wanted to be somewhere which I felt safe. Of course, you move to Vermont and everyone owns a gun in Vermont because everyone right. hunts, you know, but <laughs> but, um, but it, it's great. I, you know, I couldn't be happier. We picked a, a, a really nice part of the U.S. to live. Yeah. I live in the mountains, you know, my children were raised there and had a wonderful upbringing. So, you know, I, so I raised my family in Vermont. Uh, I worked for uh, the family business. My husband and I had a small business while I was raising the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't want to be a hundred percent at home so it was nice to be able to do a little work along the way but be there for the children when they went to school and came home uh, and then work for a company called hypertherm which was about 20 minutes from my doorstep in lebanon hanover new hampshire area 
And they are, as I said, in the industrial equipment uh, industry, making cutting solutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got tapped on the shoulder for that one. They, uh, a long story short, I got contacted by a, a recruiter and ended up starting with them as a, a as a recruiter and eventually building out their, their talent acquisition function. And I've had a great ride there. I, um, I, mo- I moved into a, an HR business partner for their global operations in um, 28 different countries wow. and really enjoyed my time there, but felt during COVID, like a lot of people, sort of reassessing my career interests and the direction I would like my career to go for the next step and felt that that was going to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And um found Amphenol actually uh, in an advert that Klaus had posted. Mm-hmm. I had been talking to a number of recruiters and started to sort of open my eyes out to what could be out there. So instead of just expecting a recruiter to, to find something for me, I started to what I call toe tip a little bit and yeah. LinkedIn. And yeah. there, there was this sort of Amphenol role, this group HR director. And as I read through, I'm like, oh my goodness, I think I can do this. This is so similar. Sure. And there were some things that were really important to me. So I wanted it to be a global company. I wanted it to have manufacturing. Uh, I wanted to have a role that was impactful, that was that partnership, but also had other elements of HR, which I enjoy doing. And so it sort of ticked more and more of the boxes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, luckily enough, I applied and got selected for uh, an interview with Klaus and eventually Bill and the team, and the, the rest is history, as they say. And here we are on the podcast talking about and it five months are. later. <laughs> Which is great. Well, it's a great journey. And uh, again, glad to have you uh, as part of the team. So now when you're not working and you're back in Vermont uh, on the weekends or on your free time, uh, what do you and your husband like to do? Well, hang out and chill is the operative word. Good. Um, like to you hear know, that. So <laughs> I, uh, I love to hike up in the mountains. We have two dogs. Um, yeah. uh, anyone that knows me well will know my dogs are my everything. My children and my husband are too, but my dogs I love. <laughs> what and, kind of uh, dogs do you have? I have a Redbone Coon Hound and then a, oh. uh, a mix of a Labrador and Trillium Walker Coon Hound and then lots of other little Mexican street dogs and other little wow. uh, extras that got thrown in. So, How many dogs do you have? Well, it's it's just the two, but they're just, it, it, she's a mix. So oh, jeez. Boy, did I miss, yeah, so did I miss hear that one? Yeah. Yeah. She's a mutt with <laughs> about 10 different breeds in her. Gotcha. People so, are probably yeah, listening to this going, you, you're a fool. You didn't catch up on that. But anyway. No, no. And dog. I will tell you, if I could have 10 dogs, I would absolutely have 10 dogs. But yeah. I'm only allowed to. <laughs> and <so> that's, <laughs> that's where we are for now, maybe in the future. But yeah. um, so hiking, we love, you know, in the summer, we're big golfers. Um, okay. The whole family actually plays golf. Yeah. I love to travel. I love to cook. And I'm a huge binge watcher of anything I can find on Netflix and Hulu and Apple. If there's a good series, you know, I'll get I'll get caught up in that and, and love a good binge watch. What's the latest show you've binged on one of the streaming services? 
Uh, I just got through Sanderton, which most people probably have not heard of. It's uh-uh. a Jane Austen novel, one of Jane Austen's novels. But I binge watched that. Uh, I also did the the Dropout, which is about Elizabeth Holmes mm-hmm. and Theranos. Yeah. Um, so I, I normally try and binge. Sort of every other week, I'll find something new <laughs> that will pop up that uh, I'll uh, I'll watch for a while. All right, so that's a good segue then. If I take you out of Vermont and put you on a deserted island for an extended period of time just by yourself, and you could bring with you only, other than getting food and all that, you can bring with you one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with an album. What album would you bring with you? Oh, that's a really hard one. I'm not a music listener. I'm really a podcast listener, but I think if I needed to take an album of music uh, and i'm not going to say his name right but uh ludovico Einaudi uh, is an italian composer probably mm-hmm. modern classical is the best way to describe okay he has an al- album um i think it's in a time lapse and uh i'm terrible with names but i love that kind of music especially if i was on a Island. I don't think I want music with words. I just want music. Like um, one music. would assume, yeah, yeah one yeah. would assume that it's idyllic. You know, it's beautiful. Right. I'm not sure I'd want voices or <laughs> or words in my ears as I enjoyed the view. Well, so some good classical music. Okay. Me. Well, I I was going to ask you an alternative question then, based on your preference. What podcast would you bring with you? Well, uh, I love This American Life, mm-hmm. so if I could have, you know, all of those, I would I would do that. There's also a, a company called Wondery, and they do yep. different series of podcasts, and uh, I'm always completely um, enamored with uh, the different uh, subjects that they have, so one of those. But again, there's... There, there we're talking about putting words in my ears versus yeah. nice sort of serene music to get you in the mood of relaxing on a on a beautiful island in the Pacific somewhere. How about a book? What book would you bring with you? Well, again, I I I love to read, but I would say I'm more an audible book person. But if I had to read I want the biggest book I could possibly find. And the biggest book I've ever read is a Ken Follett book. Mm-hmm. So I, it would be World uh, Without End. I think it's over a thousand pages. Yeah, sounds like a book uh, without end. It is. It's a pretty interesting book, though. It's set in the 1300s. It's sort of a historical drama. Yeah, he does like um, Eye of the Needle, right? Doesn't he, he yeah. write like those, like kind of spy type books? I, I don't know. He off? does a lot of historical. The ones I've read are all historical fiction, okay. and you know they're pretty lengthy and they're pretty uh, in detail. But yeah. Um, yeah. I love the idea. I love historical uh, fiction. So, and I, you know, you learn a lot about uh, even present day from what happened in the 1300s with yeah. the plague, the wars, and yeah. so yeah. I, I, I would say anything thick like that that I could, I feel I could get through would would be a good match. Okay, and then finally a movie. Yeah, movie. Well, I, I love watching uh, movies and TV. I, I think if I was to take one with me, it would be a mockumentary. I, I love, like, 
Oh yeah. This final tap, you know, yeah. Rob Reiner. Yeah. It would be that. I, I think my all-time favorite is a Christopher Guest one, which is Best in Show. Oh, phenomenal! Um, yes. Every time I watch that, I laugh out loud. So it would be one of those I would take with me. Those are great and mostly improv. Those people are genius actors and comedians. Yeah. Yeah. I love. No, I love movies. any yeah. of the Christopher Guest. You know, he had like a repertoire of. People, yep. the same people that used to pop up in those uh, mockumentaries, and they're, they're so clever. They are. The best show is just every time I watch, <laughs> you know, a, a, a dog show at Thanksgiving, you, you look for those characters in real life. But I think he nailed it with that one. Yeah, it's a great one for sure. So, well, Sarah, listen, I appreciate you again taking the time to do this today. Uh, it's a very engaging conversation. I'm glad that. Uh, you shared some of this with us, and especially, you know, just being a few months into the company. I think it was really insightful. So thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you.